0: week we started uh, a series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We um, call it a Be Happy because one of the meanings of the word blessed or blessed, depending on how you say it, is um, to be happy. And that's the word that begins every Beatitude. So the Beatitudes, we said. Um, they kind of begin, well, they kind of, they don't kind of, they actually, they begin the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching his disciples. And as I read it, as far as I can tell, it seems like he's challenging some of their thinkings, um, some of the teachings of the day. Uh, talks about loving enemies, about uh, how to deal with anger, about the Messiah coming to fulfill the law and that sort of thing. And he says, Things like, you've heard it said like this, but I say this. And um, so he was kind of doing all these things. Uh, he, he begins all of the, the Sermon on the Mount by listing off eight or nine. Some people pair the last two up. Um, people that are blessed. Uh, people in different scenarios. And he says that they're blessed. And we call them um, the Beatitude Beatitudes, which means... Um, supreme blessedness or a state of great joy. Uh, The prevailing belief in that day was the more stuff you have, the more blessed you are. You know, Father Abraham, he had all kinds of stuff. And he was the one that started it all. And God blessed him by giving him all kinds of things. And Jacob, you know, he had all kinds of stuff. and Kind of just trickled down and they just... If you read through the Old Testament, a lot of times when it says that you're blessed or God would bless, that there would be some sort of things that come along with it, and so that's kind of what the belief was. And but yet, every person that Jesus lists off in this the Beatitudes um, is not someone we would consider to be blessed. So, just telling you again what the word "blessed" means. Um, Greek word "makarios" means. blessed, which is a good thing that it means what is it? happy, uh, and it's used to describe someone who's happy, blessed, or someone who is to be envied. And last week, um, we learned that um, those that are poor in spirit are blessed, um, and it kind of goes in the, the face of the thinking of the day, and even today as well, because um, whenever someone tries to argue about... Whether God's real or not, what's the, the thing that they say? They say, you know, if God's so good, why does this happen? You know, if God's real, why does this exist? Inferring that because God is whatever, then the blessings of God need to be all these positive um, things. And if God isn't giving it all these positive things to everyone, then obviously He's not real. And that's kind of what the, everyone... That's their main argument, I find. Uh, the same kind of thinking of that day, and kind of just worded a little bit different, assuming that God's entire purpose and plan is to make our lives easier. Um, as if he serves us, which we know is not the case, but that's what that thinking is implying. And so Jesus, he's teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's uh, basically saying things like, this looks differently than you may have thought, that it was supposed to look. And things are a little bit different. The poor in spirit, he's already said, theirs is the kingdom. And then he hits some of this this verse here, and he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is a good one. Neat. You're blessed if you're mourning, he says. You're happy if you're mourning. Really? Uh, we're just going to define the, the two main words here, because I like to do that. Uh, when we do a study, but mourn and comforted. So mourn, um, so the word um, pentheo, which means to mourn or lament. It's used to describe someone who's mourning, lamenting, or to feel guilt, or to feel guilty. We've done quite a bit of teaching on lament, uh, which is one of the meanings of these words, so you guys should be familiar with that. Uh, and then comfort comes from the word um, parakelio, per- uh, which um, means to call to or for, to exhort or encourage, has all kinds of usages, but the one that is being used for here is the last D, it's um, to comfort, encourage, or console. And so there's two ways that we can look at this um, beatitude, and we're going to do that, but the first, we're going to look at it physically or emotionally. And so the last, like, blessed are, are they, or blessed, I, always, I try not to say blessed and try to say blessed I only ever say blessed when I'm quoting a verse. But blessed are they that mourn, uh, for they shall be comforted. The last thing you're thinking while you're standing over a grave is, well, this is nice. I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more blessed right now. The last thing you're thinking when you're sitting home alone because everyone else is gone is, oh, I die blessed. This is just dandy. The furthest thing from your mind when you realize that a dream has died and you're never going to be able to do this or that or, or something that you a plan for your life is never going to happen. You're not thinking, well, this is just wonderful. I am certainly blessed right now. This is just amazing. Unless you think sarcastically like I do sometimes. Well, the last thing that a grieving widow wants to hear is you're blessed. You know, the last thing you want someone to tell you with tears streaming down your face is smile, be happy. That's, as my mother would say, you're cruising for a bruising. Okay. <laughs> well, Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. And when we read it or we hear someone say that, you think, nah, I don't know, not really. And we kind of get our back up, like, what are you talking about? they um, can't, you know, in our heads, mourning is the opposite of Blessing. Being blessed and mourning don't go together. But yet, this is what Jesus said, and so it has to be true. So how is it true? I will get there, but first, I'm going to pour you with a grammar lesson. The verb, um, verb, you know what verbs are? Actions, action words, make sure we got that. Um, they can be used two ways. This goes for the Greek and the English as well. There's two ways you can use a verb. There's intransitive or transitive. Um, intransitive means that there's no direct object connected to the verb we'll we'll get somewhere transitive means that there is an object connected to the verb so the action is being done to something that's what transitive is so intransitive examples would be it's raining there's nothing after the raining it's just just raining Um, I ran she was singing all day So that's intransitive. Transitive would be, it's raining cats and dogs. So the raining is doing something, uh, it's attached to the cats and dogs. I ran a marathon, she was singing hymns. So the hymns are attached to the verb all day long. So there's two different ways. Um, And what's neat about the word mourn here is it's used intransitively. That means that there is no direct object connected to the mourning. There's no direct object connected to the verb. Transitive would say something. Blessed are they that mourn over a loved one that's lost or, or a specific thing. But intransitive means that it's why it's wide open here. Blessed are they that mourn. And I say all that to say that Jesus doesn't say what it is that's causing the mourning, that causes someone to mourn, or why they're mourning, or what the mourning is attached to. Because we all mourn and we all grieve over different things. He doesn't put it in a box and say you're only blessed if you mourn over this. And you're only blessed if you mourn over that. It's wide open. Because we all have different things that happen that cause us to mourn. He doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn over lost loved ones or broken relationships or a heartbreak or bad news from the doctor or attacks from the enemy or disappointments. He doesn't specifically say what it is that's causing the mourning. He leaves it open. Because depending on who we are and where we are in our life, different things cause us to mourn. Sometimes it's death. Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it's disappointments. Sometimes... We um, we mourn over someone falling in sin. Sometimes it's us falling in sin. Sometimes it's a financial loss. Sometimes it's plans that don't come to pass. Things fall apart or um, things fall through, plans that we have. And sometimes it's missed opportunities. And sometimes it's just relationships ending. Friendships, other things, other kinds of relationships just ending. And Sometimes it's a loss of a job or whatever. There's different things that cause us to grieve and cause us To mourn. There's a multitude of reasons why we can and why we do mourn, and each one is a valid reason, and each one results in us being blessed. There are no qualifiers in the mourning. The word mourn in this context is closely tied to weeping or crying, being upset at the way that life has gone. And if you remember, blessed also means and describes someone who is being in a favorable position to receive something or being in a position of favor, which is why it means to be envied as well as being happy. So blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted here again means to console, to encourage, and strengthen by consolation. So Jesus says we are blessed when we mourn because we are in a position to receive something that can only come through mourning. Are we so hope you're all with me? Delusion, on the, the English lesson, the grammar lesson. We are blessed when we mourn because we're in a position to receive something that we can only get through mourning, and that is comfort. You cannot comfort someone who isn't mourning. You can't comfort someone who hasn't lost something or someone. You can't bind an unbroken heart. That's not how it works. Ecclesiastes says that everything... There is a season, a time, and to every purpose under the heaven, in verse um, 3 and 4, it says, A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. The weeping makes the laughter that much sweeter, and the mourning deepens the dancing. Without one, the other is lacking. The blessing in the morning is that there is comfort, there is an encouragement, there is a strength that only comes through the morning. And yeah, no one wants to go through it, no one wants to endure pain and heartbreak, but it's through the pain and it's through the heartbreak that we meet the comforter. I've told this story before, I believe, but I grew up with a kid, uh, same age as me, maybe a year younger. Um, The church I grew up in, it seemed like there was a bunch of kids that were all born one year, and then a couple of us scattered the next, and then a bunch the next, and then so I wasn't kind of the one There's there was like three of us, but everybody else was the year after. I think it was the year after. But we all grew up together. Um, the same age as me, maybe a year younger or whatever, but we grew up in the same church, went to the same Sunday school class. I told you before about our teacher, Joanne, hit the floor and repent. He was one of the ones that had to hit the floor and repent too. And the same youth group heard the same messages preached that I heard preached. Uh, His mother and father were instrumental in my life. She was the first Sunday school teacher I had when we started attending the church uh, on Mark Drive that I grew up in in grade 2, I I believe it was. I remember walking into her Sunday school class, and she had a memory verse written on the chalkboard, and she was so warm and welcoming to to me my first day there. His father used to drive one of the, the buses or vans for the church. Our church used to have two 16-passenger vans, and they used to pick people up who didn't have rides. Um, We lived on the other side of the city. The church is on the east side. We lived in the north. Um, We didn't have a vehicle, and many times we relied on the church van to pick us up. And he picked us up many, 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 many times for church until we finally got a a car, which I think was like five years or so after we started attending. So he had this guy I grew up with, he had the same church experiences as me. He's had a good family. Um, parents are still in the church. And you know my story a bit. You know, I came from a home that was maybe a little bit broken. I grew up in, in the ghetto. Um, drug dealers and bootleggers all around us. Um, my dad passed away when I was 11. It was a bit more rough than maybe his upbringing was. Um, maybe there's some other kids in the youth group, and I used to wonder why, like why is this why is my story like this? Why did these things happen to me? Why it seemed like everything happened to me? Like everyone else's parents were together. Or no one else's parents had no one else's parent had died or um, they all came from nicer neighborhoods than where I was from. You know, why, Why I I often thought, why was my life like this and others not? And this guy we grew up with, um, we're a bit older now, probably 16, 17, 18 or something like that. And he started attending church less and less and less. And I I didn't see him around the youth events like um, before. Probably around 17, you know, when we get licenses and we start doing whatever we want. Um... He started getting involved in the wrong things. And I remember I was chatting with him on MSN one day, if you remember that word. And I asked him what was going on, like where, where, where he was and why we hadn't seen him around and all that. And he told me he didn't really know if he believed in God anymore. And that just kind of blew my mind because here we were. We grew up together. Same church. Same friends. Same everything. Same people, same... Pastor, the same messages preached, the same altar calls, and I wouldn't even be in church probably if it wasn't for his family. And I said to him, "Well, what about the times that God was there for you when you needed him? How can you, you know, deny those times? You know, He has to be real. If you think about all the times that you really needed God and you prayed and He answered and He was there and you know all, all that, and he said, I never really had any of those times.'" I never really needed Him. Nothing ever really went wrong in my life. and I was was stunned and I realized that all those times that I asked God why, it was these moments that brought me closer to Him. It was the stuff that I I went through and things I was like, why am I going through? Why does this happen to me? It was that sort of thing that brought me closer to God. It was those times of frustration and those times of mourning and the wrestling that led me to a deeper relationship with God. Jesus, the morning led to the comforting. And all the time I was asking, why is this happening? But through that stuff, he was drawing me closer to him. The morning led to the comforting. You don't get one without the other. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. It's going to happen. It's a direct byproduct of the morning that we go through. There's a comfort waiting. And so, yeah, life does Hurt sometimes, things aren't always great. We weep, we we mourn, we cry, but we are blessed because there is a comforter. We are in a favored position to receive his grace and mercy, to receive strength and encouragement. He says, They shall be comforted. What is someone who is mourning? What do they need? Someone to tell them to get over it, (laughs) to suck it up, princess, to rock or to mock and to ridicule them, to ignore them? No, they need comforting. And that is exactly what he gives us. He gives us exactly what we need. And the promise is there that if you are in mourning, there is comfort and there is strength. There is a blessing in the morning. As hard as that is to wrap our heads around, because we don't like to think about it like that, you don't receive comfort without mourning. You cannot receive comfort without mourning. That's one way to look at it. And the other way to look at it is like this. You cannot receive the Comforter Morning. We will never know Jesus as a comforter unless we go through the morning. And when we do, there's a deepness that develops in our relationship. I don't know if you've ever been through something, a loss or a shaking of your faith, a trial or, um, with someone. You've going through something together, it brings you closer. Going through those dark times brings us closer to God as well. In John 16 jesus is at the last supper with his disciples and he's trying to explain to them what's going to happen and um he's going to go away and and die and he's going to come back and he's preparing a place and all these things and and in the and of course in true disciple fashion they're not getting it because he's speaking in things that don't make sense to them because they're just we're just having passover together what are you talking about where are you going what do you we want to go with you what's going on they don't know what What he's trying to say. And they're asking him where he's going and things like this. And Jesus says, um, in John 16, 5 to 8, he says, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me whether thou goest. He says, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. And so they're sad because of what he's saying the news that he's giving them. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus promised his disciples that if he went away, he would send what? The comforter to them. And we know this from other studies and verses that the comforter is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But before the comforter could come, there needed to be sorrow. There needed to be some time of mourning or else he is not comforting. And here it is twofold. One, Jesus physically had to leave the disciples causing a sorrow and a sadness in their lives before he could send his spirit to comfort them. And two, godly sorrow precedes the infilling of the Holy Ghost in our lives. The definition of mourning, we looked at it a little before, but once more, one of the ways it's used at the end it says to feel guilt or to feel guilty. Part of the definition of mourning is to feel guilt or to be sorry. Second Corinthians seven and ten says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. In the English standard, it says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So in this instance, the mourning is not a worldly or natural type of mourning, the kind that brings death or the kind that doesn't produce anything spiritually. It's not the mourning over failure or suffering or the consequences of sin, but it's a sorrow that flows out in the tears that cleanse The mourning over sin itself and the stain which it has left upon our lives. It's a mourning of repentance. John the Baptist was sent before Jesus to preach what? Repentance. Why? So that they could receive Jesus. There's a mourning, there's a godly sorrow that comes with repentance. And what follows that? The comforter working in our lives. We cannot get the Holy Ghost until we repent. Right? You believe that? You cannot get the Holy Ghost until we repent. When we mourn and when we weep in repentance, we're blessed because He's coming to fill us. He's coming to comfort us. He's coming to walk with us. He's coming to be with us. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Jesus meets with us when we repent, but there has to be that godly sorrow. There has to be that time of mourning before the Comforter comes. Repentance is one of the most important things we can ever get. I mentioned it quite often <laughs> we could spend well I we spend a lot of time here so I'll go all the time Well, repentance according to the dictionary is the act of repenting is sincere regret and remorse it says the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs which is accompanied by commitment to and actual actions that show and prove a change for the better that's what repentance is or in simple words being sorry for sin turning to God and not doing that anymore The call to repentance is universal. From the filthiest sinner to the holiest saint, we all need to repent because we can all wander, we can all fall short, and we all need to turn to God. Jesus said in Matthew 3 and 8 that we need to bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. Just like an apple tree produces apples, if we repent for real... There should be a fruit. There should be something that shows in our life. There's a godly sorrow that works in our lives. We don't repent and continue to do the same thing. Um, I realize that we all fall and stumble. It happens to the best of us. We don't say, God, forgive me for gossiping, but my word, did you just hear what she said this week? My goodness. Just let me do it one more time, Jesus, and then I'm done. That's not what repentance is. <laughs> There needs to be a, a change in our lives. Jesus also said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is essential for salvation. God's already done his part, and now it's up to us. Repentance takes a decision uh, on your part to turn back to God in your attitude and go back to him in your actions. Think about the story of the prodigal son we talked about a little while ago. He had to make a decision. He had to decide to go back home. No one can make you repent. My old Sunday school teacher Joanne tried. but she couldn't make us actually repent. It was up to us to actually do it. No one, you, know, you, you got to make that decision for you. There's a sorrow. There's a mourning that comes with repentance. But 1 John 1 and 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no greater blessing than to have my sins forgiven. There's no greater comfort than to have the Holy Ghost. Through the mourning comes the comforter. Um, Elder Barnes said, So those that grieve over sin, that sorrow they have committed, it, and are afflicted and wounded that they have offended God, shall find comfort in the gospel. And through the grace of Jesus, through the cross and the blood of Jesus, our sins can be and are forgiven. And Jesus, the heavy laden, the weary, the tired, they can find peace. Through His Spirit, we are sustained here. And in heaven, all tears shall be wiped away. Revelation 21 and 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, and shall there be any more pain. The four things are passed away. Those are all the things that cause us to mourn. Tears, death, sorrow, crying, pain. Talk about being comforted forever. It's through the mourning that we get there. It's through the tears that we get there. Heaven is going to be that much sweeter. Through the mourning of repentance, we receive the comfort of the comforter. While being tried by the trials and tribulations of this life, we can hold on to the hope of heaven, Heaven, heaven. And that, um, my friends, is comforting. And right now, there may be mourning. Right now, there, there might be tears. And right now, there's disappointments and failures. But there's coming a day when we shall be comforted forevermore. There shall be no more tears, no more death, no more pain, no more crying or sorrow. Comforted forever. We're blessed when we mourn physically and emotionally because it's through those times that we come to know the closeness and comfort of our Savior. When we are blessed, we'll be mourn spiritually because that is going to produce the fruit of repentance in our lives and Jesus will forgive us. We can be refilled or filled with the Spirit today. We can experience the Comforter today. I touched on this recently in a message I preached. Isaiah 61, 1-3 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them the mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called the trees of righteousness. Planting of the Lord. That he might be glorified. And Jesus, in the New Testament, he reads from this passage. And he sits down and he says, Today is the day that this is fulfilled. In other words, I am the one that's fulfilling this. He's coming to give us beauty for ashes. Ashes are dead and dried up parts of our lives. The things that are gone. The stuff that ain't coming back. You can't make anything back out of ashes. Once it's ashes, it's gone. But Jesus can. He can take that. And He can make something beautiful out of it. All the things that we thought were gone forever. We're never going to be able to do anything. That He can take our past and He can make it beautiful. The oil of joy for morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but the Bible says joy comes in the morning. And I said joy comes in the morning and joy comes through the morning. The oil in the Bible always signifies anointing or the presence of God. And oil just about every time it's mentioned refers to olive oil. And all those were crushed to make the oil. That's how it works. There's an anointing that comes through the mourning. There's an anointing that comes through the crushing that life gives us through a spirit of repentance that isn't obtained any other way. There's an anointing that comes through mourning. There's a blessing that comes through mourning. And so, yes, again, we are blessed when we mourn physically and emotionally because it's through those times that we um, draw closer to the comfort of our Savior we are blessed we mourn spiritually because that's going to produce the fruit of repentance in our lives and bring the comforter to us blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted the first beatitude first mm-hmm. 3 blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and then he said the ble- poor in spirit sorry we said the poor in spirit means humble or humility and these two are connected. It's a poverty of spirit that says, I am undone. I've got nothing to offer. I, this is all I am. I'm, I've spent it. I have nothing. There's a humility with that. And that leads to mourning. And that humility leads us to repentance. And it's through humility and it's through repentance that we will see the kingdom of heaven and have the eternal comfort where there will be no more tears And no more heartache and no more death. blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Amen. Well, I went through that pretty quick. I preached it instead of teaching it. Taught is the real word. Um, But let's stand. We're going to pray. I know some of us are going through things and have been. I know that... uh, Life gets on top of us sometimes. Beats us down. Causes us to mourn. Uh, But there is comfort in in Jesus today. I've said this many times. But everything we go through is an opportunity to know him better. Or in a different way. We can preach about how he's your father. That's not until you don't have a father. May then you turn to him as your father. We can appreciate that your friend. But it's not until we, we experience that loneliness. We come to know him as that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And through all these things. So there is a blessing in the morning. There's a comfort that is available to us. We're in a position to receive that comfort. So let's just pray um, together uh, tonight as we, we close.